welcome to X-Rated Movies. My name is Ryan Whedon. My name is Matthew Fisher. And we are your hosting team for this podcast, which is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. Yes. EX rated, in case we didn't enunciate that well enough. Yeah, can, can you hear the E? As the uh, Gaelic would say it, X rated. <laughs> is that a slight against uh, the redheaded people? <laughs> Uh, I might be a little sensitive right now. I was going to say, uh, this might be the earliest pin ever, but put a pin in that one, listener. <laughs> Matt, I have an announcement to make. Yeah. You can no longer make fun of me for not having a Letterboxd account. I have joined Letterboxd. That's right. Wow. Is it because the director of Jewels of Light and Dark followed me and you're like, well, fuck this shit. Maybe. Maybe I want to be followed by directors. <laughs> No, I was like, why am I, why, what am I dragging my heels on this for? This is, like, not that hard. Although, I, I, okay, I've literally signed up for it today, but thankfully I've got a few weeks to, like, get it up to speed and, and uh, put some reviews maybe even in. I don't know. But, like, I just started going through and saying, watched, 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 watched. Oh, I did that obsessively, like, the first year that I did it. I'm already, like, 250 movies in, and it's just, like... This is going to take a while. <laughs> yeah. No, it was like one of those like mindless tasks that I used to do. I'd be like, whatever movie I just watched, I'd just like click on all the actors and have them be in different tabs. Oh, okay. And then I would just like, and the director or, or maybe some other crew members. Yeah. And I'd just like see the list of movies that they didn't mark everyone as like watched. I think that's what I'm just going to have to do is go by directors. Because right now I was just going off their popular page and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. This is going to take me a long time but yeah for like a year i did that pretty obsessively well how many movies are you up to do you know oh, like fourteen thousand. wow <laughs> yeah i did sort of the math there and it's like between 2006 and 2016 i watched like roughly ten thousand movies oh my gosh yeah something like that do you know what that average is out to per day <laughs> more than one per day yeah <laughs> I'm kind of excited about it just because I'm on Goodreads, too, which is basically, you know, letterboxed for books. Mm -hmm. And uh, that one is just, I, I like looking back and being like, oh, yeah, I remember reading that. Oh, yeah, I remember reading that. And now I was just thinking, like, why don't I do that with movies? Because there's definitely some that I know I've seen that I've kind of maybe forgotten about. And it'd be nice to go back and, and check that out. Also, if you want to follow me now on their listeners, you can. I was going to say, I haven't gotten any new followers recently. <laughs> well, have you given out your handle on here yet? Uh, the moment I find it out, I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> Mine's just Ryan Whedon, all one word. Oh, okay. That's what I have across, across the board. I used to do creative shit, but now I'm like, my name's unique enough. You're not just like redheaded devil. Ooh, <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> Real sensitive today, Matt. Real sensitive. Uh, well, that's good. Have you logged anything? Like, not just marked as watch, but have you, like, marked, like, I watched this movie on this date? No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. Uh, that's probably going to have to start as of now. Okay. Unless there's certain ones I can remember the exact date I saw them. You can go back through the X-rated catalog and... Uh, there you go. You can you know get a good estimate as to when you watch those i know i saw teenage mutant ninja turtles to the secret of the use on one of my birthdays oh. so i could figure that one out <laughs> so i haven't explored it too much do you have to log you can like log every time you've seen it yeah it can log multiple viewings okay so yeah it's like when i 
like uh what would be a good one like uh david fincher's gone girl i've seen that one like four times okay and like you can click on it and like see all the times that like you know you rated and reviewed and logged this movie on this day mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's like you logged this movie again on this day and yeah yeah there's i definitely have repeats so i mean i'll just block out the summer of 1987 <laughs> for the flight of the navigator <laughs> <laughs> 1987 is just every day that yeah. movie. <laughs> That's what it feels like. What are your top four movies? Um, let's see. If I had to pick, I mean, probably Fifth Elements up there. Mm-hmm. Um, probably. Oh man, you really put me on the spot. This is hard. What did you put in your bio? I haven't. I haven't filled all that up. God, you, <laughs> I you, literally you just put in the login information. You're like password. <laughs> and you're like capital. R D E V L exclamation point one. We're pretty much at the point when like I've bought the the land and like nothing's built on it yet. So it's worthless. <laughs> but you know, it, this is this episode's gonna drop three weeks from now. Who knows what could happen in three weeks? I That's could have true. the fanciest schmanciest letterbox account you've ever seen. Okay, okay. You're going to log into it three weeks from now and just be like, wow, we, <laughs> your eyes are going to pop out. <laughs> just be like a Tex Avery cartoon. Yeah. Just <laughs> jaw on the ground, tongue rolling out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah just you wait. putting in your bio likes caramel without salt uh figs <laughs> and toilet humor okay. dislikes <laughs> let's see uh, salted p- caramel potatoes <laughs> and uh the hollywood's consistent discrimination against redheads mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. matt what's a movie from your childhood that you want to talk about. <laughs> I think today, well, I don't think, I know what we're going to do. Uh, <laughs> today we're doing Back to the Future. I mean, we, we've watched some good movies, mine from our childhood so far, but God damn it, this might just be a perfectly crafted movie. Like on a technical level, like on the tightness of the script, the way that it sets up all the seeds in the first act, and the way they come back. And part of me wants to be like the subtlety of it. But then when I was sort of rewatching today, I'm like, it's so not subtle. No. <laughs> it's not even remotely subtle. Mm. Like the opening credits, like we have this one and it's like going from like clock to clock. Yeah. And it's like, okay, time, clocks, got it, got it. And there's this Rube Goldberg-y type machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all one shot and it shows the thing like pouring out like that nasty looking dog food. Yeah. Mikey J walks in, skateboard goes over the plutonium. It's all like two or three minutes or something like that. Yeah. And it's all one shot. You also like, get before that, you get the, the radio host saying that plutonium got stolen, right? Uh, well, there's a news broadcast on television That's that it. says that. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then we see plutonium and then... Michael J. Fox does this thing with the amp, and then like right before he leaves, like the camera's frame, so like the plutonium is like up in front of the camera. Yeah. And you just see like Michael J. Fox's feet in the skateboard as he's running out. I'm like, okay, they really want us to know that there's plutonium here. <laughs> Very poorly hidden uh-huh. in this house. 
it's kind of a great opening because it's like it just spells it all out for you. It's like here you go, and now you, you're you're loaded with all this information, and it took three minutes while the credits are rolling. Like you don't even have to think about it, and you're like, I've already got lots of cues. You got a full deck ready to go. It's pretty good filmmaking. Yeah, and there was just little things like having it be uh, Twin Pines, and then when he uh, gets back to the present day, and it's just Pine. It's Lone Pine. Lone yeah. Pine. Because when he cr- when he goes back in time, he crashes over that guy's pine farm. <laughs> It's not twin anymore. It's just one. <laughs> yeah, it just the the way that it it sets up little things. It's super obvious. Or when he's with his girlfriend Jennifer, uh, Marty, Michael J. Douglas, Michael, J. oh, <laughs> Michael J. Fox's character Marty, and he, him and his girlfriend, and they're talking about going up to the lake with a couple of sleeping bags, and they're like, save the clock tower, save the clock tower, and like the <laughs> clocks in the background, she's got the pamphlet in her hand, and she's talking about the clock, and he like reads the pamphlet that says all the information that she just said, and just the way that it, it, it's like framed before, like he, he has to go to schools, he's holding it up, and he's looking at the back at, at Jennifer's phone number, Yeah, and it says like, save the clock, which is front and center in the frame. <laughs> I'm like, wow, they're really ramming at home that there's this broken <laughs> clock. This is going to come into play <laughs> yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you know to look for it, it's the least subtle thing in the world. <laughs> Honestly, you just mentioned a little bit with the like uh, Lone Pine, Twin Pines thing. Mm-hmm. But the production design, uh, turning Hill Valley from the like shitty 80s town that it is into the... Um, you know, swinging fifties little town that it was. It's like that must have been so fun, and it's just really well well done. You can see it is the same town, but it's just you know thirty years earlier. They use that same like facade of a town in Gremlins. Oh, okay. So like the movie theater that you see, like especially near the finale, is like the movie theater that blows up with all the Gremlins oh, in it. Okay. And Gremlins. Question. Yeah. Do you think Hill Valley is big enough to support a adult movie theater? <laughs> uh, orgy American style? <laughs> you know, today, no. In 2018, no, I would not be able to because people get pornography in the comfort of their own homes. Sure. But back in the day, yeah, probably. I mean, that was the only place that you could uh, get your rocks off to uh, adult films. Hill Valley just doesn't seem big enough to support that, but I don't know. I bet, you, I, I bet it's just got a, a, a strong but steady clientele. <laughs> They've got a, a frequent, frequent visitor cards. Every pervert and bachelor in that town goes twice a week. Doffs their cap. Hello. Hello. Henry. <laughs> just a bunch of people in trench coats, <laughs> collars up, hats down. <laughs> just thought that was a weird detail, but uh, hey, I don't know. I was five when this movie came out. Maybe they were everywhere and I just didn't know. Or my parents did a good job of shielding me from them. Well, there probably were adult theaters around, but whether or not they advertised the porno that they were playing on the marquee, (laughs) that might be one of the differences. Yeah, the the tightness of the script was so well done. Like, there's not a single hair out of place. Yeah. Despite the crazy holes... Like plot-wise of any time travel movie, with the exception of maybe Time Crimes, that's a pretty tight one. But 
Yeah, I try not to think about it too hard. I know that listeners out there probably want us to go into crazy theories about this, but <laughs> I personally was just like, you know what? Time travel is stupid. <laughs> so I just I don't want to think about it. I think you can solve a lot of the time travel issues in this movie by just embracing the multiple timelines theory. You could, but how does he go back to that timeline then? He just ends up going back to a timeline that just happens to coincide mm-hmm. with the one that he had. I don't know about that. I mean, just while, while we're on this topic, when he goes back to the future. Hey, that's the name of the show. The timeline that is created when he goes back. Mm-hmm. And his older siblings are still in their parents' home. How old are they supposed to be? Uh, well, I got the idea that his sister was younger than him. Oh. I, I might be wrong on that. I got nothing to back it up. Okay. And then his older brother could still be 18. You know, he's got a job. Yeah, he goes to the office already. In the uh, brightest timeline, yeah. He uh, just got a job right out of high school. Internship, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Uh, But, yeah, because in the original timeline, he works at, like, a fast food joint. Sure. But, yeah, that opening scene, or not the opening scene, but that the first scene in his home, in his household, and how just subtly it sets up everything. And when I say subtle, I mean not subtle at all. The Jackie Gleason, how much the dad is laughing at it. The mom who, like, they make mention that the mom's fat. She's not fat. No. Like, I saw an IMDb fact that it took three hours to put her in that makeup. It looks like it took 20 minutes. Yeah. It's not great makeup. No. Especially when you consider, you know, we did the Exorcist and we're just like, Max von Sydow looks like he's 80 and he's like early 40s. And that's the most convincing old people makeup <laughs> yeah. we've ever seen. And it's just like, that was... 10 years before this movie how is it how did we regress <laughs> yeah i don't know but she's talking about how her and her husband mad and lays out the enchantment under the sea and the uh the brother who's in jail and stuff like that it all gets laid out really nicely but I, this also is the scene that introduces us to crispin glover mm-hmm <laughs> uh, a unique actor if there ever was one god I mean, he's got no other rhythm other than the Crispin Glover rhythm. Yeah, he's not. You can't even call him a ham because it's like, what is that I don't, style? I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so Michael J. Fox, I think the story is that they wanted him for it. But because of his family ties schedule, he couldn't make the movie. Mm-hmm. So they had Eric Stoltz. Famous doing- redhead Eric Stoltz. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave him the boot once they found out that they couldn't hide uh, his freckles and fiery locks. You know, they, they just chalked it up to, he isn't working, quote uh-huh. unquote. Yeah. Like, it's just, we're just not getting the laughs we need. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's go with a brunette is basically what they're saying. <laughs> so it's funny to me that they like took so much care and like the lead actor because Eric Stoltz is a fine actor yeah and I when I was watching this time I was like I can kind of see how Eric Stoltz could have played this part but with Crispin Glover not that he's a bad actor but he's so unique in his own rhythm that I'm surprised and I was like is this really right for the part (laughs) yeah for some reason that one's fine but uh, Eric Stoltz is too serious for the role (laughs) Is that really what they said about Eric Stoltz yeah, was think, too serious? I think they said his, his performance was too intense. Like, it was good, but they just weren't getting the laughs that they needed. Mm. Like, I could see that. Like, you know, he gets back in the 50s and he's playing it a little, not so much like in wonder and more scared. Because mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox does never seem scared. He sure. just seems really confused. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a fine distinction, but uh, 
makes a difference. I uh-huh. can see. I can see why they did it. Just it hurts when it's redhead, you know. I guess we'll unpin my pin from the beginning. Okay. But you know, there is some other redhead hate that they didn't have so to do. That's that's what I'm going to. Okay. Uh, I know that we're jumping to the end, but in, at the dance scene. When Lorraine and George are at the dance and Marty's trying to get them to kiss and that redhead comes in and he's like the most like evil looking maniacal (laughs) redhead ever. Just he cuts in between him and like drags her off and it's just like, ah, yeah, he's like (laughs) laughing as he does it. And he's like (laughs) immediately putting his hands on her boobs and it's just like, come on. He's just the most weaseliest, grossest. <laughs> he's got no lines. All he's just—he's like a villain out of a silent movie. Yeah, he just comes in and is tying her to the train tracks, twirling his mustache. <laughs> yeah, it was a—it fe- was full on offensive. <laughs> no, I saw that. And I was like, I know Ryan's gonna bring this up. <laughs> At least they didn't make Biff a redhead. Like that would have really pissed me off. He's not not a redhead. He's got sort of a auburnish orange tones to him i heard that robert zemeckis and robert gale is that the name of the other writer oh i didn't take notes i think that's what it is they based biff's future character in back to the future 2 off of donald trump and i was like man i feel like they're doing it in this movie like the way he treats people yeah biff i'm just like this is i could definitely see donald trump in this character biff is just such a grade a piece of shit just not choice, not select, not prime. He's grade A. Ugh. He like will do shitty things to you and make you feel like it's your fault that it's happening. Yeah. Like when he says, uh, like when they're talking about the car accident, he's like, It's your car. Your insurance should pay for it. I, I want to know who's going to pay for this. I spilled beer all over when that car smashed into me. Who's going to pay my cleaning bill? And I'm like, Holy shit. I just. <laughs> or like just what he does with uh, George, where he's like, McFly, your shoes aren't tied. Don't be so gullible, McFly. It's just like, fuck you. Don't put him in that situation. Yeah, that seems hard to watch because it's just, ugh. It's borderline unbelievable. Like, you'd think that, like, no one would put up with that shit. But, ugh. Sets up the dynamic quite well, though. Yeah, yeah. Did you notice that when they go to 1955, that part of Biff's crew is uh, Billy Zane? I saw that in the credits, but I didn't notice it, no. He's like the center one in a couple of the scenes. And okay. he looks a little chubbier back then than the Billy Zane that I know. Uh, and this was, of course, before he was bald. Uh, which, by the way, did Billy Zane shave his head or did he just go bald and be like, I'll just expedite the process? I don't know. Mm. We're going to have to toss that one out to listeners. Okay. Or Billy himself. Billy. Been a long time. Let us know. (laughs) He's not doing anything. He can come on the podcast. Yeah. I guess I should point out real fast is that I haven't seen this movie since the early 90s, I think. And even Mm. then, it was probably on television. Mm -hmm. So, like, to just actually sit down and see this, there was a lot I had forgotten. I watched this probably about seven years ago or so. Okay. When I watched it that time, I was just like, oh, this is... A classic like the opening credit scene just it's one of those things where it's like yeah it's just panning over clocks and tvs and you know various devices and, and somehow i'm like i'm interested like i'm pulled in this is what watching a classic feels like <laughs> like i'm just swept up in it already and watching it this time I'm, i still have the same feeling it's so perfectly paced you're never bored the exposition feels zippy and fun and it feels as fun as any of the other parts like 
Michael J. Fox like discovering things is just as fun as seeing like the action of going back in time or something mm-hmm. like that. Christopher Lloyd explaining, uh, you know, falling off the toilet, <laughs> getting the idea for the flux capacitor is nothing but exposition. I was standing on the edge of my toilet, hanging a clock. The porcelain was wet. I slipped, hit my head on the edge of the sink. And when I came to, I had a revelation, a vision, a picture in my head, a picture of this. This is what makes time travel possible. The flux capacitor. I was thinking that they gave most of the exposition to Christopher Lloyd like when they're walking to the high school in mm-hmm. 1955, he's like, I remember, according to my theory, you interfered with your parents' first meeting. If they don't meet, they won't fall in love, they won't get married, and they won't have kids. That's why your older brother's disappearing from that photograph. Your sister will follow, and unless you repair the damage, you'll be next. And I'm like, okay, they just summed up the movie so far. Yeah. But they gave it to Christopher Lloyd, who really knows how to make it bounce. Yeah, he's a lot of fun in this movie. Oh, yeah. He pulls off the crazy scientist real well. I love the line when he comes in to show him how he's going to make the lightning bolt time travel thing work. Uh-huh. And he's like, please excuse the crudity of this model. I didn't have time to build it to scale or to paint it. Oh, thank you, thank you. He's really good, like, when uh, in that model scene when the car catches on fire and oh, yeah. drives off the table <laughs> into those rags. Just to, like, his eyes popping. <gasps> yeah. <gasps> See, this is the thing. I remember the car going off the edge, but I forgot that it goes to the pile oh. of oily rags, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's really good. Okay, so another thing I forgot, or maybe I never knew in the first place, was that how heavy Huey Lewis in the news plays into oh, this. Oh, I don't remember that part either, but the whole like opening scene or like oh opening 10 minutes or so has that song someplace in it. And apparently Huey Lewis is one of the, the judges. He's the, the one who gets up and says, I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. I wish that weren't an element in this movie. <laughs> it was a little hard. But I mean, I guess they were huge in 1985, right? Didn't sports come out in like... I think 84. 84 yeah. yeah. Which, uh, according to uh, Bale in American Psycho, that was really their seminal album. Yeah, that's the one everyone knows. So, if you know Huey Lewis. <laughs> anyway, I for- I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten like uh, there was another. There was another big plot point. Oh, the part where everyone thinks that he's from Pluto. He's a zombie guy from Pluto in the 50s. And like he goes to mm, mm-hmm. uh, George's room and puts the headphones on. And he's like, I'm Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan. And I was just like, I don't remember this at all. I like his choice of music there. So he must have brought a tape of Van Halen with him to yeah. the 50s. Edward Van Halen. Edward is what said. <laughs> but on the topic of the writing and how tight I feel it is, there's a good trio of problems that he has to overcome once he goes back in time, each like requiring like a different set of skills. And the way that they sort of are all related to him being back in this time and how he has to like undo them. I, I don't know. There's something just so delicious about that set of problems because he's got the one where he's disappearing. He has to save himself physically. Then he has to get back to his present time that takes a whole different set of skills because one, he's got to like play matchmaker. The other is a ticking time bomb situation, essentially. He has to sync up with a lightning bolt hitting a clock. Yeah. Then he has to warn Doc about the Libyan terrorists who plan on killing him. And Doc is refusing to get any knowledge about the future. Right. So there's just these three sets of problems that he gets all at once, basically. And he has to solve them all before going to present day. 
I feel like one of those problems would be how a modern movie does it. Yeah. Like they would have one of those problems that needs to get solved and that would be it. And I think most modern movies wouldn't make it so hard on him at the very end. Like after he's gotten his parents to fall in love, that whole sequence is fraught with problems. Oh yeah. I was stressing out. I mean, I know how it ended and I was just like, holy shit. First of all, it's already hard enough to like, I think Doc even says it at one time. He's like, don't worry. As long as you hit that wire with a connecting hook at precisely 88 miles an hour, the instant the lightning strikes the tower, everything will be fine. Easy, right? On paper. (laughs) Uh, But then, of course, you know, the tree falls and unplugs the thing. And then um, the car won't start. And there's just like this litany of issues that he's going through. Both of them. Yeah. That was really kind of fun but also like really stressful anxiety inducing yeah Yeah. (laughs) because the problem of him disappearing from existence that one once it's resolved it's like okay we're done yeah we're on to something else but the one of him hitting the car or getting the car with the lightning bolt at the same time there's so many little problems because doc is like okay we have four minutes and 22 seconds or whatever Mm -hmm. and then that tree branch falls and I remember Doc going up and trying to like connect the two. Yeah. But I'd forgotten that when he does that, it unplugs the ones at the bottom. Oh. So watching this time, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> like my heart just sank and I was like, I know that he makes it back to present day, but just that act. And I just, I sympathized with the Doc so much, like being up at the top of that clock tower yeah. And just knowing, I have to go down. Yeah, I have to get down like real quick. Like my heart sank in that moment. Yeah, there was a minute when like I think it was when Doc was climbing the stairs to go up there, where it was like, if I was Marty, maybe I'd be like, you know, this isn't so bad. Like, why are, <laughs> why are we stressing out about this? I can just start. I'm gonna over. stay here, bang my mom. You know. <laughs> well, when you say about your heart sinking, mine sank when uh, Michael J. Fox turned the key and it. Didn't, mm. and it didn't turn over. I was like, oh, I forgot about this. When does it happen? <laughs> no. No, no, no. Not this time. Come on, come on. Normally, that's kind of something I would I would say, okay, come on, guys. But for some reason, it works in this movie where they just like, keep piling it on. It made it really fun. Yeah. So, uh, quick question. When the doc is setting up, like some cables and things like that. And that police officer comes by Mm -hmm. and is asking him like, Oh, what you got going on here? He's like, Oh, just some weather experiments. And uh, he's like, what's under this tarp? He's like, don't touch that. That's very sensitive weather equipment. He's like, well, you got a permit for that. And he's like, well, of course when he comes down, does he just bribe that cop? Oh, because he pulls out his wallet and he goes, it's somewhere in here. But then the camera pans to uh, Marty Right. And I was like, unless he had the permit in his wallet, I was like, is he just bribing that cop? (laughs) Yeah, I assumed that he had the permit, but it was in his wallet. (laughs) But yeah, actually, maybe he was. And just the way he's like, it's somewhere in here. And he's like opening his wallet. And not like fiddling with it like near his person. Uh He's like holding it out in front of the cop. I think you're right. Yeah. You know what? Doc had a huge house in the 50s. Yeah. In the opening credits, it shows a newspaper clipping of like it had blown up or burned down or both oh yeah okay i looked that up by the way it's uh it was a house built for gamble of procter and gamble to be their winter home oh 
Yeah, now it's a museum. Oh, is it really? Yeah. A Back to the Future museum? No, it's probably an architecture. It's considered a a masterpiece of the arts and crafts movement in architecture. Mm. So you can go check it out probably and walk through it and see it. Did you believe that his dog Einstein was 30 years old? Oh, I assume that was just like Einstein's dad or something. Oh, maybe. Cause he only raises those sheep dogs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. When he goes back to 1955, there's a little puppy dog. Yeah. And so I just assumed that it was the same dog. I read that originally they were going to have him have a, a chimpanzee as a pet. Okay. And I was like, good switch, guys. Yeah. Like, no one's going to buy that shit. <laughs> I'm trying to get on that uh, any which way but loose bandwagon. Yeah. Dunstan checks in. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that was Fade Dunaway's comeback vehicle. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot I can't talk shit about Dunstan checks in around you. <laughs> what do you feel about the theory that this movie just uh, gives credit of the creation of rock and roll to white people? And That one, I definitely was cringing at that moment. Oh, really? Yeah, I was kind of like, no, I don't know if I like that. Why? Obviously, Michael J. Fox got it from Chuck Berry. Right. And it's just like a, you know, circuitous thing. But I don't know. I I think the idea of giving credit to white people or that the movie is saying that white people really invented rock and roll, I think is just a uh, insensitive byproduct. Not necessarily that they were intending for it to read that way. Right, 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 right. It still reads that way, though, if you're a black person. Sure. You know, like, I don't find it offensive, but I definitely was like, oh, I can see how this reads bad. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I, I was like, yeah, like, living in the times that we live in now, I'm like, oh, yeah, with greater awareness of appropriation and whatnot, like, this definitely doesn't read well, but I don't think that it was the intention to be like, well, white people really get the credit for rock and roll or something like that. I'm like, yeah. Mm. I think it was just white people not knowing any better back then. Yeah, I agree. How did you feel about seeing Michael J. Fox in a uh, tiny purple underwear? Oh, I liked it. And watching it this time, it made me realize that when I was a kid, like before I really knew myself sexually, I liked it then too. I did that. Yeah. Same here. I was like, oh, I do remember this scene. I was like, I, I was like, <laughs> I remember this and like always wanting to watch this scene when I was like nine, 10, yeah. 11. And then later at the dinner table when she squeezes his leg, I remember thinking kind of like thoughts like her like i want to squeeze his leg because mm-hmm. i just saw it you know and but his mom was a hoe like <laughs> well that's why in the dark timeline she becomes uh such a slut shamer because she's like can you imagine girls chasing after boys when i was her age i never called a boy i'd never be in a parked car with a boy mm-hmm because she never did she met up with george and then just like went from there and but she I was can miserable almost, i can just like hear the squish of her panties like in those scenes yeah she was uh she was hot for 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 her for fox hot for fox hot for fox <laughs> she wanted to do the fox trot <laughs> they uh kind of remedy that whole thing with one line where she's just like this is all wrong i, I don't know what it is but when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. And it's kind of elegant the way they just sort of resolve that. It's like, yeah, now she's not attracted to him anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, done. Yeah. Now, yeah, because it, it, it fits thematically. Yeah. Like, she's all hot for him, and then she gets there, and she's like, ooh, that was gross. <laughs> it's still probably weird for Marty <laughs> later when he sees his mom, but, you know, 
uh maybe he can work past that i was watching this movie with someone who had never seen it before and that scene in the car where she kisses marty and just deflates like her just you know her badge just dries up <laughs> uh, and then biff comes in and gets in the car mm-hmm. and tries he, to r her yeah and he goes you said this was a kid's movie and i was like well i mean it is and he goes he's flat out raping her I was like, good, wholesome fun back in 85. <laughs> Kids knew about rape early yeah. on back then. It's fine. <laughs> he also, when the title sequence on the, the Blu-ray uh-huh. was like showing the DeLorean and stuff like that. And he goes, so they make a time machine out of a DeLorean. Is that correct to my understanding? <laughs> and I said something. I was like, well, if you're going to time travel, you got to do it in style. And I didn't realize that I was actually quoting the yeah, movie. Yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? That must have just been ingrained. <laughs> also, I heard DeLoreans kind of suck. Like, the idea that it would, like, stall when mm. they tried to start it was, like, an actual problem with DeLoreans. Oh, funny. And that they were not practical cars. I, whose door opens that way anyway? A lot of cars, like, a lot of fancy cars have the gull wing doors. Mm-hmm. But that was just the one that really popularized it. I mean, I had a toy from a cartoon show called Mask. <laughs> and the like main leader on the good side's car would turn into an airplane and the, the like, doors would go up that way. But I mean, it's so impractical. Yeah, I always wonder, like, if you're in a tight parking spot, does it lift like almost straight up? Like, if you're in a tight spot, will it still open? I don't think so, because you, you... Or does you, it have a, it's got a, a like, wide berth, or, or yeah. does the, the diameter of it go too far out? Like, would you just be stuck in the parking lot then? Oof, I guess. Like, Lamborghinis nowadays, they have, you know, weird doors, but they, like, go up. Oh, yeah, they slide vertically. Yeah, yeah and that makes on sense. On, like, a, a hinge of sorts. Or yeah, because then you're not... You don't have to worry about banging into something. It just goes straight up. But, like, yeah, those DeLorean wings, like, you're just going to be hitting stuff left and right. If you parked at like a shopping mall garage and you park next to the oh, beam. Yeah. Forget about it. Trader Joe's. Oh, God. Universally. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where I saw this, but it was like online. It was just a, like a listicle of people across the country complaining about Trader Joe's parking lots. <laughs> and that's just a feature of their store. It's like, dudes, I love your products, but your parking lots collectively suck. I mean... That's how they get you. <laughs> they save on the parking. Yeah. So previously I had talked about how with movies from my childhood where I don't need to take notes. It's just all right there. Mm-hmm. And this one I actually felt the need to kind of take notes because there was so much there. I needed to narrow down what I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like you could give me almost any scene or like set like any act perhaps and I could talk about it at length for a while. And so I did take like a couple notes just to like, okay, I want to focus on the tightness of the writing, the foreshadowing and the little breadcrumbs and things like that. Because all that stuff is what really impressed me this time around. Like the special effects are fine, but there's not a lot of them. No. Yeah. And like, they're not crazy either. No. Most of the movie is just watching the snake eat itself sort of. Yeah. And how that gets resolved. Like, that's the impressive part of the movie. Yeah, because what are your special effects? You got the car disappearing. You got it flying at the end. You got those, like, trail of flames. But even then, like, 
That's not when they're super... standing over it. It's not a special effect because they just like put like lighter fluid down and set it on fire. Yeah, I mean the hand disappearing is kind of a an effect. But, but... I mean these are small and pretty isolated parts. Everything else about it is just. Yeah, like the novelty and the plot devices used inside of it. Yeah. What did you make of the way that Michael J. Fox sleeps? Oh, A, it showed his butt off nicely. Like, real nice. There's two times where he's sleeping in that awkward position. I seem to recall when I was a teenager, I would just, like, pass out in, like, horrible positions that, like, now if I slept that way, I'd have, like, you know, arthritis in my neck for a week. Uh-huh. But uh, when I was a teenager, I could like sleep in shitty positions and be just fine. Okay. I mean, they say that he was doing family ties and this movie at the same time. So he was, you know, there's only like four hours a day where he wasn't working. Mm. So he was probably pretty tired. I could see like, you know, crashing out in any position. Man, this is the second movie that has ties to family ties. Because Michael Gross oh, yeah. was in Tremors. Man. What Tina Yoder's movie do you have for us next? <laughs> wow, deep cut. Good job. I don't know. I just I, I thought that was weird, and I I found myself kind of being attracted to Michael J. Fox a little bit. Oh, I didn't look up his age because I was afraid that he might be too young. Oh, don't tell me, please. I didn't look up his age, <laughs> but I I feel like he's got to be at least twenty in this movie. I hope so. Should we take a second to look it up? Oh man! All right. <laughs> Uh, Michael J. Fox was born June 9th, 1961. So he would have been 24 in this movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's not like, I'm not creaming my pants or anything, but I definitely was like, he's, he's cute in this movie. I see why everyone had a crush on him. Yeah. No, he's super cute. He's uh five foot four. Hey, so. I like him short. Uh, yeah, you do, don't you? Yeah. I heard that they had to like recast his girlfriend, whoever she is in this movie, because they had to cast a taller one to match Eric Stoltz. And then once he wasn't in it, they were just like, you're not his girlfriend anymore. You're too tall to be his girlfriend. George Burns was right. Show business is a hideous bitch goddess. Yeah, that would suck. Like, oh, I got this part because, you know, they need someone to match Eric Stoltz's height. Oh, they're getting rid of Eric Stoltz. Like, yeah. Having your job depending on someone else being cast in the movie. Did they even factor that in when they're getting rid of Eric Stoltz? Like, how shitty is it that her whole role is they based probably, on him? I'm guessing they did not give a fuck. Like, <laughs> I guess they did not care at all. I mean, she's barely in the movie, but still, that's fucked. She gets recast in the second one, too. I imagine, like, Steven Spielberg and any other of the suits around were like, Oh, by the way, we're going to have to recast the girlfriend of Eric Stoltz. Like, somebody brings it up, and they're just like, who's she? <laughs> and everybody just laughs hard. And, like, and then wipe away a tear. Like, oh, we'll get someone else. And then they write themselves a check for a million dollars. And they're like, they hit the buzzer, and they're like, uh, Stephanie, can you come in here for a minute? <laughs> Bring the scotch. <laughs> Stephanie. Can you fire the girl who plays Jennifer? I didn't bother to learn her name. Thank you, Jennifer. Back, we're talking back to the future. Back to the future. Why don't you bring that sweet can in here and... Uh... Hey, Jiggles. <laughs> when you're done firing that no name, why don't you come in here and I'll give you a raise. <laughs> and I am picturing one of those people as Steven Spielberg. So. <laughs> we're about as subtle with our innuendo as... Uh... Zemeckis was with his writing for foreshadowing this movie. 
it said that they shopped this script around for years too, which is kind of funny to me. Oh yeah, it seems so obvious, like a slam dunk almost. Well, uh, I didn't look up. I mean, Zemeckis had I think a couple other films under his belt at this point, but the movie is shot with such like love and care and attention. And on paper, I feel like on script, it would seem like such a fluff piece hmm. that you could have just gotten some Hollywood hack to like shoot this, you know, this, I feel like this easily could have been like a Disney made for TV movie, a la Midnight Madness. Leon! But yeah, I don't know. To me on paper, I feel like it, it's a pretty fluffy movie. And really what makes it is that you got some great performances like Michael J. Fox does charmingly befuddled in a uniquely American teenage way very well. Mm-hmm. Christopher Lloyd is Doc Brown doing like the wide-eyed mad scientist. Just mwah, gold. Yeah, he's definitely my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> Leah Thompson as, as the mom. Like, oh, she was she looked good back in the day. I, yeah. can, I can see how there'd be an internal conflict in Marty being like, you're hot. Yeah, and I liked that she's not really slut-shamed either. She's just sort of like, it's okay that she's a horny teenager. Yeah, she wants it bad. Yeah, she's like, I need my V filled with D <laughs> she today. Wants... <laughs> she wants a ride on the Marty horn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's looking for some family ties, if you know what I mean. I was a little confused as to how almost lenient the parents were like the grandparents technically oh yeah when lorraine's like mother uh, with marty's parents out of town don't you think he ought to spend the night neither of the parents were like uh no (laughs) yeah they're like oh she's almost 18 (laughs) (laughs) he's a good navy man (laughs) it'll be good if she gets pregnant she'll get married it'll be fine yeah and he can sleep in my room they had like six kids or something, yeah. so they were like, great, yeah, get her pregnant. But no, Lorraine was just waiting to be plucked. I swear. Just, but I bought it. Like, she she knows how to play horny. Yeah, I liked that. I don't really like Leah Thompson that much, because um, I, I think I have a thing against uh, Caroline in the City. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the most unfunny sitcom ever made. But um, she's fun in this movie because she plays like horny teenager. And mm-hmm. it's a girl teenager, which we just don't see that very often. That's true. That's and true. And that's kind of fun to see. And she's never ashamed and, for it. She's, and she, yeah, she's not a nympho. Like yeah. she's horny for Marty and no one else. Yeah, she just happens to uh, fall for guys who uh, are hurt or injured in some way. Mm-hmm. So she's got a type. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Doesn't Doc even say that's a thing? Where it's like if Florence Nightingale syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a real thing, or is that just like? I mean, I've heard that term before. Oh, yeah, okay, I okay. don't know if people actually have that, or if it's like just I don't know. Uh, old fiction of some a uh, character named Florence Nightingale, mm. but they play on that in Arrested Development too. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, Buster, you're such a. I mean, she likes you. Huh. So Doc, spoiler alert, ends up reading the note that Marty left him. Right. And Doc had spent the whole movie being like, "I can't know about the future that could disrupt the space-time continuum." Blah 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 blah. Marty writes in this note saying, "You're going to be killed by Libyan terrorists. Please." Protect yourself. Two Libyan terrorists <laughs> in a Volkswagen. Volkswagen bus. But at the end, it turns out Doc put on a bulletproof vest because he had read the note. And mm-hmm. Marty's like, what about all that talk about screwing up future events, the space-time continuum? Well, 
I figured. What the hell? That is wildly irresponsible, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I mean, this this is where Rick and Morty was born at this yeah. moment. Was like, oh, this uh, super smart science guy who invented time travel is all of a sudden like, meh, what the meh, hell? What the hell? <laughs> there is so much Rick and Morty in this that I could see. I mean, yeah. especially when they go to the high school in 1955. And Doc Brown is like incognito with like a Hawaiian shirt on and stuff uh-huh. like that. I was like, this is what he thinks incognito is. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, and it, and it like the show is really good at highlighting just how crazy the premise of this movie is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, holy shit, that's so irresponsible. Like, everything <laughs> they do is irresponsible. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff though. It's real oh, good yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of, the, of how great this movie is, really. No, I but mean... But part of me is, like, you have to watch it to understand the magic of it. Yeah, uh, you know what I really want to talk about real fast is, uh, and we talked about this in the last episode, is fucking Alan Silvestri music. Mm-hmm. Like, the classic, classic Silvestri. Like, it's sort of like him doing his best John Williams impression. And mm-hmm. it's great. It totally, I buy it. I remember when it started, I was like, oh, this sounds like John Williams a little bit. But I was like, it doesn't sound like John Williams a lot, though. Yeah. No, it sounds enough like him. And I actually, I mean, I would argue maybe that Fly the Navigator soundtrack's a little better, a little more personal. But this one is... Oh, yeah. The Fly the Navigator definitely is more unique in terms of, like, I think he had a little bit more freedom with that movie. Yeah. It feels more personal. This one seems just more like make something John Williams like Steven Spielberg was probably like uh you need to make it sound like this (laughs) yeah (laughs) have you heard of the E.T. soundtrack (laughs) I also did a movie a little movie you might have heard of called Raiders of the Lost Ark (laughs) check that out (laughs) but I love it I think it's great and it gets me where I need to go emotionally in the moments that it needs to so yeah because I think Zemeckis kept him on board for Who Framed Roger Rabbit as well yeah Mm -hmm. uh which is a great soundtrack too. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to explore more Alan Silvestri after this. Yeah, I always wanted to hear his score for 2001: A Space Odyssey. Oh, he made one. Yeah, he wrote a whole score for it, and then like in the editing room, Kubrick was like, "You know what? I like the temp music that I was using oh. while making the film better." Wow. So it's a shame. Uh, well, do we have any final thoughts on Back to the Future? Uh, no. Except if you haven't seen it, go watch it because it's a pretty fantastic movie. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it yet, were you born in the <laughs> '90s or something? Get with it. My final thought is, I want to know why this movie is not on the AFI. Like, I guess there's a stipulation that like you have to like win awards, like a lot of them or enough of them. It won like best sound effects or something. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's fine. But I feel like this movie had enough of a cultural impact that it should supersede that award category maybe it's like 101 it could be but i don't know this one just feels like it has enough of a cultural impact and it is good enough that it warrants being on the afi yeah Well, what do we got coming up next week? We're doing something new next week, Matt. Okay. Something we've never done before. Okay. It's convoluted. <laughs> so bear with me. Gotcha. It's my pick, mm-hmm. and it's a movie I've had on my list for a while, mm-hmm. but I've never seen it. 
So Wait, we're, what? We're doing a movie that I've never seen before. Oh. And we're bringing on a guest. <laughs> okay. For a movie that we've both never seen before. Okay. <laughs> and it also has two titles, so we're just going to make it extra confusing. Uh-huh. I'm going to go with the title that I know it from that I had on my list, which is Above the Law. Not the Steven Seagal movie from 1987-ish. This one's from a little earlier. It's a Hong Kong action movie. And uh, I wanted to do it during your action film exploration last season, but just couldn't get it in. And so we're doing it next week. And our guest is your friend, which is another weird thing. Uh, are you referring to Devin Sheridan? I am referring to Devin Sheridan. Interesting, interesting. I like how I've just got you wrapped around my little finger. You're doing a movie no. that you haven't seen with a guest of mine. <laughs> right, but it was a movie that I wanted to see. But you haven't seen. But haven't seen. There's one specific scene that I saw on the internet, and I was like, I have to watch this movie somehow. <laughs> but you knew that the movie as a whole was good enough to make an episode about? I mean, I, mean, I knew that it didn't matter. Like The, <laughs> the strength of this one scene was going to be worth doing a podcast episode about. Okay. If, <laughs> even if the rest of the movie was shit. We'd talk 90 minutes about a four minute action sequence yeah try to guess assuming which one. that it was an action sequence it's not it was an action sequence okay. i'll give you that okay. try to guess which one but yeah should be good okay i'm excited uh okay great <laughs> <laughs> above the law next week uh plug plug junk. Junk. get the fuck out of here <laughs> follow us on twitter at x-rated movies every fleeting thought is a pearl for us so um and follow me on letterboxd <laughs> ryan whedon starting uh as of this listening this episode airing and uh, go to our website, xratedmovies.com. Got literally everything we've ever done. Find me on Facebook. I'm Ryan Whedon on Facebook. <laughs> uh, and you can find the podcast on Facebook uh, at Rated X Movies. And if you want to contact us directly, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Those are great ways to contact us or me. <laughs> uh, and your grinder handle is <laughs> uh, Redheaded Devil 81. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week with Above the Law. Keep reaching for that rainbow. Rainbow.